0: The reading today is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ, in order that in the coming ages, This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God for his uh, good word. And thank you, Voda, for bringing us our our Bible reading this morning. So, last weekend saw the cancellation of... uh, all tiers of FA matches cancelled from the Premier League uh, down to the very grassroots. Uh, and, uh, However, this weekend, yesterday, saw the start of the new footballing season for uh, thousands of grassroots football players. And that included uh, two of our own children, Samuel, who, uh, who plays for Mainhead United, and and Hannah, who plays for Mainhead Boys and Girls. And Samuel, um, well, mum had the nice, easy home fixture for Samuel, but dad uh, had the away leg. And he had to go all the way over. They were playing Thatcham, so we had to drive all the way over to Newbury to play uh, Thatcham, 50 minutes away. It was just over 50 minutes' drive. And uh, we went to a, an independent school. Um, uh, uh, and we was playing at a, at a pitch on an independent school over there, and uh, on the way home, just a few yards, also in Thatcham, we drove past another independent school. Um, we actually popped in, had a look. It was very nice. It's nice to see how the other half live. Um, and uh, but but Hannah didn't want to go there. They was all wearing their school uniform on a Saturday morning, so that did not impress her at all. Um, uh, Uh, And uh, and this independent school, called uh, Down House, uh, is the school that Kate Middleton went to when she was 13 years old. Kate, as we know, is now the the new uh, Princess of Wales, married to Prince William. And uh, however, sadly, her time at Down House was both very brief and also very painful for Kate. Uh, She was really badly bullied at the school uh, and in fact only lasted uh, uh, just over a a term, a term and a half and after a term and a half uh, she left at half term. And it's perhaps of little surprise therefore that one of the many charities that that William and Kate collected for uh, on their wedding day was actually the charity Beat Bullying. Now, there was an interview in the Sunday Times uh, uh, some time ago, and one of her peers from the school uh, uh, spoke about Kate, and she said this, she was definitely having a miserable time. I can remember seeing her one time sitting on the stairs crying her eyes out. Sitting on the stairs crying her eyes out. I want you to imagine that. Another girl said, in our peer group, she was regarded as a non-entity. I'll just say, it goes to show that teenage peer groups are not always the most astute um, at making judgments. Now imagine going up to Kate, aged 13, sitting alone on the stairs, crying her eyes out, so miserable that in a few weeks' time she'd be leaving the school. And saying saying to her these words, you know, hey Kate, let me show you a picture of your wedding day. Let me show you a picture of you one day. You know, a million people flooding the streets of London. It, you, you know, two billion people watching it on TV. You marry a prince, and he loves you, and he cherishes you. And Kate, you know these bullies that have been picking on you? Yeah, well, if they're English, one day they'll have to have you as their queen. Now, imagine, imagine... Kate now, looking back on those times, you know, sitting alone, ostracized, ostracized, not a friend in the school, and now thinking of her life today. Don't you think she's amazed? Don't you think she's filled with joy when she looks back to her former condition, now looks back to what she has inherited? And this morning, I want us to help, I want us all to, to see what the Christian has in their relationship with God, what a Christian has in our relationship with God. Uh, And to help us, I too want us to consider first what our lives are like without Christ compared to the life that we now have available to us with Christ. And, you know, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote these ten verses. Um, Obviously, they weren't verses at the time. They were just his, his writings. But when he wrote this passage to a small, struggling church in the vast pagan city of Ephesus, and he wanted them to see the wonderful, amazing gift that they now have in God compared to their condition beforehand and just as Kate must sometimes sit and marvel at at what it was what she has today compared to what it was like for her as Christians we too need to pause and think for a moment and just marvel at the amazing gift of God's grace and I want to look at our passage today in three uh, sections. It's split into three sections. First, we have verses 1 to 3, and that describes our condition without Christ. And it's not just, you know, those who don't go to church or whatever. It's, it's actually speaking of everyone's conditions, all of our conditions, when we were without Christ. And then we go on to verses 4 to 9, and it talks about our salvation through Christ, and then we have verse 10, our new identity in Christ, our condition without Christ, our salvation through Christ, and our new identity in Christ. So let's look back to that time on the stairs and our condition without Christ. And there's three images that the Apostle Paul uses to describe our condition without Christ. In verse 1, we see the first word. It says, verse 1, we are dead in our transgressions and sins. We are dead, it says. You know, that word transgressions and sins, they mean slightly different uh, uh, things. One means, you know... uh, uh, transgressions means overstepping the mark, as in going beyond what God wants us to do. And that word sins means falling short of the mark. And so when we pray for forgiveness, we, we actually pray for those, you, you, you'll notice that often I pray for those things that we've done wrong, the ways that we've overstepped the mark, our transgressions, but also in the ways that we failed to do the things that we should have done, the ways that we have fallen short, our, our sins. So we were dead we were dead. That's what it says. We were lifeless. We might, we might have been uh, physically alive and wonderfully attractive, like myself. No, uh, you know, we might have been you know active and you know, but actually, spiritually speaking, we were dead. And verses two to three, it says that we were enslaved. By these sins. The word that we've translated in our Bible as followed or following is actually, in a visual language, a much more forceful word. It means to be mastered by something or enslaved by something. And we know that we can be enslaved by our sins. Next week, we're going to look at Yeldon Manah and all those men that we're trying to desperately to support that have been entangled and enslaved by the things that they, they have started to follow and now have taken hold of their lives. and then in verse 2 it says this when when it says we followed the ways of the world and later in verse 3 it talks about us following the desires of our sinful nature you see it's speaking about our enslavement to those things that we that we desire you see without Christ we are dead this is what it says in the bible we are enslaved and thirdly we are condemned verse 3 like the vest Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. We were by nature objects of wrath. Now, let's pause for a moment. I think it's important... to to pause and to clarify what we mean by God's wrath. It's not something we often uh, speak of because when we hear this word wrath, we imagine God as some kind of terrible tyrant, this cosmic policeman that's looking over your shoulder, ready to punish you for doing something wrong. Or we flip to the entire other extreme and we say, well, you know, God is love and God is love. So therefore, wrath... You know, judgment is just not part of him. You know, it's just, it, it, you know, but, but neither of those two extremes are correct. This idea of God being sort of, you know, out of control like human wrath, it is completely false because, you know, it is not unbridled anger, blind, vicious rage. That's human wrath. God's wrath is always controlled and settled and calm and holy, and it's always, utterly directed and focused at holding evil to account because God will never compromise with evil and for, for some of us sadly we've been through absolute tragedy in our lives we've had evil uh, in our lives and God is saying to you this morning that he will not allow those things to go unpunished he will not allow those things to go unpunished he loves you too much because that's why the opposite isn't isn't false either you know that because God's a God of love that judgment isn't a part of his character because God's judgment is not in opposition to his love his judgment is proof that he is loving that he is good that he will deal with the evil that has been done to you So that's what it says. It says that we're dead, enslaved, and condemned. This is our condition without Christ. This is what Scripture tells us. And we need to be aware of this because without it, what's the point in in coming to Jesus? Jesus has nothing to offer us. If we go around thinking, I'm okay, yeah, and these words don't apply to me, why on earth would we ever want to be saved? It's like if I walk up to someone and say, I've got this amazing medicine. I really wanted to give it to you. You'd be like, well, I don't need it, I'm healthy. But if you first of all say, actually, this is your condition, and now I've got this, then we, we are willing to accept it. You know, if you leave the Swedish mainland and you head over to the island of Chorn, yeah, you go over this bridge, it's called the Almo Bridge. And, uh, and I want to take us back now, a number of years, uh, back to a really foggy, Icy night uh, back in the uh, back at, on the 18th of January in 1980, and on this foggy, cold night at 1:30 in the morning, a tanker collided with the central support of this bridge, and because it collided with the central support, this huge tanker brought down this huge central section of this bridge and the central section of the bridge, part of it landed on the tanker's own bridge and which cut out all its radio comms and the the, 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 the water there was icy so that the, the tanker couldn't get the lifeboats out to get people to shore and so there was no way to warn anyone about what had happened to the bridge. Their comms were down, they couldn't get to shore. And so, for the next 40 minutes, car after car, after car, drove straight off the edge of that cliff, uh, off the edge of that bridge, and ended in the icy waters below. You know, they were driving completely unknowingly, unwittingly, completely oblivious to the terrible fate that awaited them. Driver after driver, they were driving towards that terrible end. And this is what these three opening verses are saying to us. You know, they're saying to us that without Christ, we are driving towards the end of that road. And we don't know when that road is. You know, quite literally, I could walk out there today and something could happen to us. Today is the day of our salvation. Today is the day to realize that the bridge is down without Christ. That without Christ, we are dead, enslaved, and condemned. And saints, this is why telling people, telling your friends and your loved ones about Jesus, however you do it, however you do it, whatever you do, you know, you know when I talk about my family friends, I'm not saying come to our Alpha, I'm just saying, have you, have you seen Alpha? Or why don't you get involved in your local church? You know, uh, however you do it, we don't put on these events and socials and evenings and things like Alpha because, you know, there's something nice to do. The Bible teaches us that, that knowing Jesus is quite literally a matter of, of eternal life and eternal death dead enslaved condemned this is our condition without christ and this is terrible and shocking news let's let's be obvious let's be honest here this is terrible and shocking news because there's not much of the population in maidenhead at this time that is in church you know this is absolutely shocking news and if we we're going to leave it there yeah it, it would be shocking news but the bible doesn't leave it there and neither should we because in the very next breath after Paul explains our condition without Christ he goes on to unpack that this isn't terrible news that actually there's an amazing good news of Jesus Christ the amazing good news of Jesus Christ in fact he doesn't even take a breath yeah what he what he has is he takes half a breath there's almost like a comma here because uh, in verse The very next verse, there's a a wonderful and a beautiful three-letter word. But. But. Verse 3. Like the rest of us, we were objects of wrath. Verse 4. But. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. In with Christ even though we were dead in our transgressions it is by grace that you have been saved you know we were dead and now we are made alive with Christ verses 1 to 3 without Christ we are dead, enslaved and condemned and verses 4 to 9 is through Christ we are made alive we are set free, we are forgiven we've just been singing about those things haven't we? You know, in the Lion of the Lamb, you know, the, the, who, whose blood breaks the chains that frees us, that brings freedom, that forgives us. Because this is our salvation through Christ. That's our second point, our salvation through, through Christ. You see, God loves us so much that he refuses to compromise with evil. But also, God loves us so much that he refuses to leave us where we are. He refuses to leave us dead, enslaved, and condemned. And so God came in the person of Jesus Christ to die for us, to die the death that we deserve, to receive the judgment that we deserve. And just like the judge who issues, the just judge has to issue the penalty for the crime, who then steps down from his bench, steps into the dock, and receives the punishment himself this is what God did for us upon the cross. Because he loves us, he has to judge us. But he places that judgment upon himself. Why would God ever do such a thing as that? He is the creator. Why would he take on the form of his creation and take our place upon the cross? Three words, all found in these verses. Verses four to seven. His love, his mercy, His kindness, His love, His mercy, His kindness. Verses 4 to 7. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness, to us in Christ Jesus. So why does God save us? Because of his unchanging character, his love, his mercy, and his kindness. But if we're honest, many of us deep down feel as if we need to have done something To deserve God's love, we need to do something. We need to—I don't know—turn up to church. We need to. We need to do something to earn it. But actually, you know, we often think of it. I don't know if you've seen uh, the 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 musical, *The Sound of Music*. The Sound of Music, in it, um, uh, there's a moment when Maria and Captain Von Trapp realize that they're in love with one another. And then Julie Andrews breaks out into this song, and don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. Uh, But she says this, nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. And this is what we tend to bring to our our faith. Somehow we think that nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. So perhaps somehow, somewhere in our lives, we must have done something, or we must do something to deserve God's gift of salvation. But what does our passage say? It says this, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Because when it comes to the gift of salvation, this gift of life, this gift of freedom, this gift of forgiveness, nothing really does come from nothing because it all comes from God. We contribute nothing. It is a free, unmerited gift of God that's what the word grace means go go home maybe not look up your phone now in case you're tempted to look on you know your your social media but google what does grace mean it means a free unmerited undeserved gift of God we do nothing to deserve salvation nothing at all we are not saved by works not by anything we contribute we are saved by grace and this word grace, Paul repeats three times in three verses. Yeah, It means an undeserved gift from God. Verse 5, it is by grace you have been saved. Verse 7, the incomparable riches of his grace. And just to mention it again, he repeats it in verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved. Our salvation through Christ is by grace. And it's not by works. It's an outflowing of God's character, his love, his kindness, and his mercy. So that's it. That's verses 1 to 3, our condition without Christ. Verses 4 to 9, our salvation through Christ. And, uh, and we've just got one more verse to go, verse 10. And I'm just going spend the last few minutes on this. Verse 10, our new identity in Christ. And it's all been leading up to this because we've got to understand. Of identity. I don't know if any of you remember uh, uh, the first Rocky film. I'm not a huge fan of the sound of music. That's more Catherine's cup of tea. But Rocky 1, I can remember that one well. Well, there's a scene in, in Rocky 1 when he's lying on his bed, you know, and he's thinking about facing Apollo Creed, and, and Adrian's behind him giving him a, a hug, and Rocky is confiding in Adrian that he really doesn't believe he can beat Apollo Creed. You know, and Adrian says, you know, don't say that. And then, and then Rocky replies, with these words, and I'm not gonna do his accent, although I could probably do a better accent of Rocky than I can do singing of Sound of Music, but um, he says this, oh, come on, Adrian, it's true. I was nobody, but that don't matter either. You know, because I was thinking, it really don't matter if I lose this fight. It really don't matter if the guy opens my head either, because all I wanna do is go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed and if I can go that distance, you see, and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. But for the first time in my life, I would know that I'm not just another bum. And I think deep down in our hearts, we can all empathize with Rocky because actually all we want to know is that we're just not another bum. We might not put it that way, but we want to know that that, 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 that we're special that what we do matters, that we count. That, and this is the reason why we invest our lives in things that will ultimately take from us and, and tear life from us. We build our identity, I don't know, on being athletic or or our good looks or our careers or being a good parent or being a good Christian or, or making lots of money. And we, all of us, all of us, myself included, are, are scrambling through life for identity, desperately trying to prove to the world and to ourselves that we're not just another bomb from the neighborhood. But what the gospel does, if you allow it to grip your heart, what the good news of Jesus Christ does, what grace does, is it gently tears from our hearts this harmful desire to find identity and worth in other things because grace says you don't need to find or prove yourself through how successful you are at work or what good deeds you do in a community or how good looking you are. Grace says you are already loved. You are already special. You are already chosen. It moves us from a place of insecurity to a place of security. And I think that, that as we start to pray about this truth and, and spend time with it and think about it each day, bit by bit, we find that we slowly stop seeking our identity in, in, in other things. We, we stop needing to prove to ourselves and to the world that we're not just some other bum, and we start to embrace our new identity in Christ because you are loved by the creator of the universe. That is your identity. You don't need to prove yourself to anyone else. You are loved, and not because of what you do for him, but because he loves you. You are loved by God because he loves you. And this is the power to change everything. You know, when we, when we begin to grasp our new identity with Christ, we stop doing things to try and earn God's love or to prove ourselves. And instead, we are motivated by God's love. And when we, when we do this, we begin to do what verse 10 is all about. When we realize that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. You see, then we start to serve God, not because we feel as if we have to, but because we want to, because God has already won and wooed our hearts, and all we want to do is offer it back to him. So let us stand to pray that all of us may step into this new identity in Christ. Let's pray.